Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hello, good friends. It's Friday morning, February 10, about 8.30 in the morning in Washington. Time to gather around our reporters' roundtable to look back at a very busy week here in the nation's capital. Thank you for joining us. This week's main event, of course, was the State of the Union Address Tuesday night. It was loud. It was wild. It was rowdy. It pitted President Biden against the entire Republican caucus. But when it was over, who came out on top? Tuesday night also featured the unusual sight of the nation's youngest governor rebutting the remarks of the nation's oldest president. The next day, there were even more fireworks at the first of what will probably be dozens of Hunter Biden hearings. And meanwhile, leaders of Congress were briefed on the Chinese spy balloon. George Santos was charged with stealing puppies. And Nikki Haley is poised to make history as the first Republican to run against Donald Trump in 2024. So much to talk about. So let's jump right in with today's panel. John Bennett, editor-at-large at CQ Roll Call and writer of the CQ Afternoon Briefing. Hello, John. Hello, Bill. And Scott Wong, senior congressional reporter at NBC News. Scott, good to see you. Good to be back, Bill. So uh, this state of you, Scott, look, you've been around, you've been in the gallery for many states of the union addresses. Um, We've never seen one like this one, Scott, right? Oh, totally. I, I've been telling um, fellow reporters, uh, lawmakers that in my 12, 13 presidential addresses that I've attended, this was by far the most raucous. Uh, it was, of course, you know, it was stunning, but not entirely surprising. I mean, if I told yeah. you which lawmaker or if I asked you which lawmaker would be heckling Biden from the back row, repeatedly shouting liar, standing up, giving a thumbs down while sporting a a white fur coat, (laughs) you'd probably guess that that was MTG and you'd be right. Um, You know, I think we we expected that this was going to be a little more combative. But uh, unlike 2009, where we saw one member of Congress shout, you lie to President Obama, that was Joe Wilson, uh, who, who's been around a while. Uh, in this case, it was multiple people shouting throughout the event. And in in the first half of the State of the Union, it was actually pretty mild. It was, mm-hmm. um, there was mm-hmm. very low energy in the room. It was a little boring. And then when <laughs> Biden got into, uh, you know, accusing Republicans of, of sunset, trying to sunset Medicare and Social Security, that's when the gloves came off. And, uh, you know, there were multiple lawmakers shouting liar yeah. repeatedly at that line. And Joe Biden, he to, to his credit, he was giving it back. I mean, there there were there was a lot of ad libbing from 
Mm-hmm. The president mm-hmm. who responded, you know, anyone who doubts it, contact my office. I'll give you a copy of the proposal. And what he was talking about was the proposal from Senator Rick Scott, who has yeah. uh, who laid out in detail that he wanted to sunset all federal programs, yeah. uh, period. And that, uh, you know, after five years and that if you want to renew something, then you got to go ahead, Congress and, and vote to renew it. Just, so, just to, real, before we move on to John here, just a real quick point. Uh, remind me, I think Joe Wilson was censured, wasn't he, by the by the House, or at least uh, there was some. Yeah, he was follow-up. formally reprimanded. I, I don't remember if it was in the right. form of a censure or, or yeah, not. Form- but yes, the House took a formal action against Joe Wilson. He formally right. apologized. Right. In right. this case, there there have been zero apologies. Uh, zero, uh, you know, condemnation from the own GOP leadership. Uh, it, we're in a much different situation in, in, in time here, Bill. Yeah, so let's pick up there, John. As Scott mentioned, uh, when, when, the, when Joe Biden went to the issue of Social Security and Medicare, that's when all hell broke loose. Here is that moment, a little uh, montage of that moment and back and forth. All of you at home should know what those plans are. Instead of making the wealthy pay their fair share, some Republicans want Medicare and Social Security to sunset. I'm not saying it's a majority. Anybody who doubts it, contact my office. I'll give you a copy. I'll give you a copy of the proposal. We're not going to be moved into being threatened to default on the debt if we don't respond. So, folks, as we all apparently agree, Social Security and Medicare is off the, off the books now. Right? They're not to be stopped. So, so John, he sort of challenged them and then said, okay, it looks like we all agree, right? We resolved that issue. He sure did. Uh, he he uh, not only uh, referenced the Rick Scott plan, when the president was on the road um, Wednesday and Thursday, including yesterday in, in, Florida. Uh, in Tampa, yeah, in Florida, in, in Rick Scott's home state, and the president yesterday had the the plan at the at the lectern there as he was giving his <laughs> remarks and pulled it out of his I guess it was it was under the lectern or in his, his his suit jacket pocket and you know he's waving it around it's right here so I talked to Catherine Clark uh, the the House Democratic Whip on a Wednesday morning she was beaming other other Democrats were too they really do think like that moment that that clearly the president won the night and they think he's got a big leg up now in these uh debt ceiling talks even though it's it's early and there's a long long way to go uh but they think you know he's he's got a big lead in the first quarter so to speak and it was because of that moment uh planned or unscripted um as scott said the president was really nimble and and he negotiated in real time standing on the rostrum in the house chamber it was surreal (laughs) You know, this is why I don't bet on sports, guys, because I thought we would get your usual Joe Biden uh, speech that he gives a relatively similar speech about the economy and and what what the White House views as his uh, accomplishment so far as legislative record. Um, and we started to get that, as Scott alluded to. And then, as you said, Bill, all hell broke loose. So, um, you know, I would have bet on a, a pretty, um, you know, unity Joe performance and instead we got we got Scranton Joe. He was he was waiting in the wings, and it was like a pro wrestling run in. And all of a sudden, there's Scranton Joe at the uh, on the rostrum, and 
and he gave it back and, and he really seems now to, to have some momentum. Uh, but we've seen this before in his presidency. Just when mm-hmm. he gets momentum, something <laughs> happens. It, I don't think it'll be another spy balloon, not this soon, but it just seems like it's always two steps forward and, and then three backward. But as we as we record right now, he's got some momentum for sure. You know, and I love the fact that uh, I thought it was uh, that he sort of wrapped it up by saying, so let's stand up for seniors. <laughs> and what could they do? Right. Everybody stood up, including they stood Kevin up for seniors. Right. They stood up and it was a standing ovation. And it was it was one of the more memorable moments of his presidency so far. So let's let's get back to some facts here. Scott, uh, Kevin McCarthy uh, was a little um, obviously he was annoyed at some of his members. Right. Who thought that they, they acted like children, to use his phrase. But he also didn't like the fact that Joe Biden raised this issue. Here is Kevin McCarthy the next morning. The president was trying to goat the members, and and the members are passionate about it. But the one thing the president was saying is something that he knew was not true. Social Security and Medicare are off the table. We need to be smart. Don't take the bait. Stay with the American public about what we want to do. Now, Scott, correct me if I'm wrong. Kevin McCarthy has taken it off the table, but there are a lot of there are several other Republican senators and House members who have put it on the table and keep it on the table. Am I right? Exactly. And, uh, you know, Kevin McCarthy and Mitch McConnell have are on television on the record saying that they will not touch Social Security and Medicare. So you have that. At the same time, you have. Uh, you know, Rick Scott and a number of other conservatives that are saying, look, we have to figure out a way to cut billions and billions of dollars uh, if we are going to take the step of raising the debt ceiling later this uh, spring or summer. And uh, the way that we can do that is is to go after, you know, one of the biggest budget items in the federal budget, which is entitlements. And so, uh, there are people on the record uh, who have been saying for years that this needs to happen, that that big, big reforms, uh, changes in the way that Social Security and Medicare are calculated need to happen. And so uh, it has put people like Kim McCarthy and Mitch McConnell in a really, really tough negotiating spot as they head into these debt negotiations with the president of the United States. Yeah. I mean, this has been a, a long Republican agenda item. I remember Newt Gingrich, right, saying, let's Social Security be able to let it wither on the vine. I'll never forget that phrase. So uh, it, it, it keeps pop, popping up. So, um, John, we, we saw the, uh, the uproar. We heard the liar from the woman in the, uh, in the white fur coat. Um, but uh, she, unlike Joe Wilson, offered no apologies at all. The next morning, here she is with the CNN's Manu Raju. And I am not sorry one bit. And I don't think Speaker McCarthy is upset with any of us for, for expressing our views and being unwilling to allow the president to lie. What am I going to do? Stand up and give golf claps? No, thank you. I don't clap for liars. So, uh, John, we may be seeing more of this. Sounds to me, right? <laughs> Oh, I think we're going to see a lot more of this. Uh, The only reason we're not going to see more of it is uh, Congress is going to take a break pretty soon and uh, (laughs) we'll be in their districts. But, you know, that doesn't mean she can't go on television or or go on a podcast and continue this. Of course, we had the report recently uh, that 
that Taylor Greene sees herself as a potential running mate for a guy you might remember by the name of Donald Trump, who's uh, <laughs> running for president again. So, you know, she had reasons to do what she did. Uh, the fur coat, you know, that got a lot of attention. Um, so did Screaming Liar at President Biden. Um, and that's what she's up to right now. She's trying to, to, to get as much of the spotlight as she can. Uh, we know, um, speaking of Donald Trump, he watches a lot of cable news. And, you know, when you scream liar at the president, the State of the Union, you're going to get on cable news that night and the next day and probably the day after a lot. Um, the fur coat, you know, it was, it's been uh, warm this week in Washington. So that was an interesting choice. Uh, it got her attention. And I'm sure Trump, I'm sure Trump was chuckling and, and pumping his fist. Uh, as yeah. he was watching that. <laughs> well, uh, by the way, I just have to point out that uh, a lot of people compared this to like the House of Commons when we see those mm -hmm. raucous debates every day in the House of Com Commons. But there is one word as raucous as they get those debates in the House of Commons, one word that is absolutely forbidden. You cannot call a person a liar. Mm -hmm. that, is, that is off the books in the UK, uh, obviously not here uh, in the United States. So, <laughs> Scott, we saw another um, audition for vice president uh, Tuesday night, uh, in addition, as John pointed out, perhaps to Marjorie Taylor Greene, and that was Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Um, she made a little noise, too. Oh, she did. Uh, when she, she basically called the uh, president uh, weak. She said uh, old, weak, and, and too woke. I mean, she said that she's uh, 40 years old, the youngest governor in the country, and pointed out repeatedly that... President Biden is 80 years old and the oldest president in history. Um, a number of other attacks. Uh, she also had the line that, you know, this is the difference between normal and crazy, uh, which uh, raised some eyebrows among Democrats, certainly, because I think they think the other party is crazy. Uh, so you have, have sort of uh, both parties pointing at the other saying, no, you, you're the crazy one. Um, this was, uh, you know, again, there's only so much oxygen in the room. And this was Sarah Huckabee Sanders stepping out on the national stage uh, or a return to the national stage because she was at the White House podium course, for, of course, for so right. many years. Um, but there are a number of people jockeying uh, not only for president uh, in in potentially taking on Donald Trump, but also auditioning for that vice presidential role that John was talking about. Uh, some of the names that that keep getting floated out there for, you know, that are looking at president or vice president. I mean, Christy Nome of South Dakota, Nikki Haley is expected to uh, jump into the race against Trump uh, as early as next week. Uh, a number of senators, including Ted Cruz. And so, the, you know, things are starting to heat up. We already know that President Trump is running uh, to return to the White House. But uh, this is going to be a crowded space and everyone is sort of jockeying for attention and the spotlight because it's, you know, it is such a crowded space and there's so little oxygen. So the next day, uh, we have heard, of course, uh, that the Republicans are going to hold uh, a lot of investigations, a lot of hearings, particularly looking into the role of the government, they say, in um, 
using the powers of government agencies to crack down on conservatives. So James Comer, the new head of the Oversight Committee, uh, calls a hearing um, to basically look into the accusation that Twitter was taking down tweets about Hunter Biden, information about Hunter Biden because of the Biden campaign. Uh, So they were helping the Democrats. That kind of took another turn when Democrats pointed out that in one particular case, uh, the White House, the White House did not want. And this was a tweet that uh, Chrissy Teigen had put out there describing Donald Trump. Congressman Jerry Connolly asks Anika Navaroli from Twitter uh, to read that into the congressional record. Here's the exchange between Ms. Navaroli and Congressman Connolly. Please excuse my language. This is a direct quote, but Chrissy Teigen referred to Donald Trump as a pussy ass bitch. The White House almost immediately thereafter contacted Twitter to demand the tweet be taken down. Is that accurate? In that particular instance, I do remember hearing that we had received a request from the White House and that they wanted it to come down. They wanted it to come down. They made that request. To my recollection, yes. I thought that was an inappropriate action by a government official, let alone the White House. But it wasn't Joe Biden about his son's laptop. It was Donald Trump because he didn't like what Chrissy Teigen had to say about him. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. Uh, So, John, there's a first, uh, probably, pussy-ass bitch for the first time being in the congressional record. Yeah. um, Welcome to 2023, everybody. Uh, We're going to get a lot more of that. I uh, I suspect oh, these these hearings so far, we've had a few of these House Republican, uh, quote unquote, investigatory hearings. Um, I'm sure Scott's had some back and forth with uh, staffers on on these various committees that are now run by Republicans. And uh, my experience so far is, you know, OK, you know, I'm willing to be convinced of some of these allegations, but you, you have to show us the evidence. You have to connect the dots. And um, I get a lot of this vague conspiracy theory uh, language back. And it's it's a little bit frustrating as, as a journalist and you're just trying to lay it out. And, you know, if you guys have the goods, show us the goods. And I haven't seen very many goods. You know, they, they do want to drag this out a little bit. They've got to do something. For two years. And there, by the way, there's a presidential election next year. So maybe they have the goods and 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 they're going to show them closer to the election uh, to try to ding the president. Um, but they just don't seem to have it. They don't seem to have it, frankly, right now. And, you know, I say that because I've asked for it uh, in various different ways and um, it's just not there. And, and you get you do really get these back and forth. It's like you're talking to the Fox primetime lineup. And, you know, one tactic that they have is they say things in questions. And we saw this with uh, James Comer, the oversight committee chairman on CNN uh, this week. He was pressed by Caitlin Collins and Mm -hmm. he said, well, I'm just asking questions. Well, that's like what Tucker Carlson does on on his primetime Fox show. So when you're just asking questions, you don't necessarily have to show evidence. You're just a guy. You're just a guy throwing some, you know, spaghetti against the wall. So far, that's all they've done. There's a lot of spaghetti against the wall. There's not a lot of evidence. So, Scott, doesn't that pose a challenge to you and other congressional reporters on how seriously to uh, to take these hearings? 
Yeah, certainly. Um, you know, there are uh, there are some networks that are going to be running uh, these hearings, you know, 24-7. Uh, you know, I think there are other news outlets that are treating uh, these hearings a little bit more skeptically, uh, some of these investigations a little bit more skeptically. And, uh, you know, I think John's right. Uh, we need to see the goods, um, you know, show, show us, uh, you know, show us some developments in these stories rather than a, a rehashing of uh, issues that have been reported out. Um, you know, I think Jamie Raskin made the point at yesterday's Twitter hearing, you know, if, if you want to talk about uh, free speech issues and you want to talk about, um, you know, government interference, well, he's, he pointed out that it was uh, a lot of Trump allies and, and uh, Trump officials that were spreading uh, misinformation that fueled uh, the January 6th riot at the Capitol. And so when you have uh, these types of televised hearings and, and uh, when you're promoting these televised hearings, I think uh, Republicans have to know that Democrats are going to, uh, you know, try to make some broader points that could undermine uh, the arguments that Republicans are making, including, you know, with uh, the ranking Democrat Jamie Raskin here talking about uh, social media's role in the January 6th attack. Mm -hmm. Yeah, these hearings could backfire, and it looked like this first one certainly, um, to a large extent, did on uh, Chairman James Comer. Well, there's a lot more that happened this week, uh, lots of fun stuff that we uh, want to also talk about with today's panel. Let's take a quick break, and then we'll uh, come back with uh, the rest of the news of the week, and we'll be back with uh, John Bennett from CQ Roll Call and Scott Wong from NBC News here on the Bill Press Pod. I want to use this break to ask you once again to reach out and send whatever help you can to the world's central kitchen. Boy, this earthquake in Turkey and Syria has reminded us again about the, the disasters that occur around the can occur around the world 21,000 is the latest count I've seen of fatalities to this earthquake and the first people on the scene you bet Jose Andres and the World Central Kitchen just like they've been on the ground in Ukraine uh, since the very beginning of this war so far over 250 million hot meals served by the World Central Kitchen since their founding. So go to their website. It's very simple, wck.org. You know they're there. You know they're helping people. They need your help. World Central Kitchen, wck.org. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping 
dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. And we're back with today's roundtable here on the Bill Press Pod. Good to have with us Scott Wong, senior congressional reporter from NBC News and John Bennett, editor in large at CQ Roll Call. So, um, hmm. can't help it, John. It looks like every day we thought we knew all the troubles that George Santos is in, and now we have one more. He's been accused of writing bad checks to steal some dogs from some Amish dog breeders back in 2017. Uh, I mean, how long can this guy survive? That's a very good question. I mean, dogs uh, is anything is anything safe uh, anymore? Um, Puppies. Well, I, Kevin, I think Speaker Mac- Speaker Kevin McCarthy is willing to um, see the removal of of George Santos, but uh, he, he's going to do it by the book. And you know, he once Santos is charged and or convicted with with a crime in in the legal system, it becomes. Uh, a lot more politically, um, you know, easier for McCarthy. And, you know, he says, I'm going to follow the Constitution and the House rules. And, you know, once Santos is, is in deep legal trouble, it's easier for McCarthy to start the process. Uh, mm-hmm. It seems like that's where we're headed. Uh, but the, the timing on it is unclear right now. You know, justice system moves slower than um, than even somehow the congressional system. So um, (laughs) I think it would be months away, but that does seem like where we're headed. Right. Uh, Scott, we saw an unusual uh, twist in this story uh, at the State of the Union where uh, Senator Mitt Romney walks in and sees George Santos standing along the aisle and in no uncertain terms looks at him and said, you don't belong here. Yeah, you know, that was uh, we saw some unscripted moments from President Joe Biden, but we also saw an unscripted moment from uh, Romney, who gazed up and as he was walking down the aisle with the senators and the vice president. And uh, lo and behold, there's George Santos uh, trying to shake hands with all of the dignitaries. And that just was the last straw for Romney, who uh, who thought that Santos should have been seated in the back row, you know, trying to hide in obscurity. Um, and so there was an exchange and Romney repeatedly told Santos, you should be embarrassed of yourself for, you know, trying to seize the limelight here and uh, shake hands with, with all of the, the folks coming down the aisle. And, uh, they got into a little bit of a back and forth and, and, uh, Romney was unapologetic about the exchange afterwards. In fact, uh, intentional or not, calling George Santos one sick puppy to <laughs> reporters, <laughs> saying that the guy the guy should not be uh, a member of Congress and should resign. 
you know, obviously, you know, this this latest twist in the story with uh, George Santos charge in 2017 uh, in Pennsylvania for yeah. writing a, a series of bad checks to dog breeders. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> it yeah. just is one more. He was he was the charges were later dropped after he claimed the checkbook was stolen. I don't know if the statute of limitations has run out here, but. Uh, seems like this was a bit of a trend after the GoFundMe scam as well, where he uh, right. apparently or allegedly defrauded a military veteran um, by trying to raise money for the veteran's uh, mm-hmm. dying dog. Right. Uh, and the veteran, of course, never received any of that money. So, you know, this where this is all heading is, I think, you know, John's right. DOJ is investigating a number of these instances. It's not just lying. There, there, is, there are allegations of fraud. Uh, you know, perhaps misrepresenting oneself on on federal documents. There's a number number of avenues where this could go. But um, at some point or another, I think we are expecting DOJ to take action and and charge Santos with something. I mean, there's just so much. Uh, evidence there. And then when that happens, uh, I think it will be very quick. Republicans will quickly cut ties with Santos, uh, as many of them, including Romney, already would like to do. Right. Uh, And of course, I just wanted to point out that um, my checkbook was stolen. That's why there were so many bounced checks. That's the same thing that George Santos allegedly, again, told people in Brazil, a tailor in Brazil, where he bought all kinds of clothes, with uh, phony checks. Uh, so <laughs> it looks like he used the same scam here in the United States once he came up up here. Uh, so, um, John, uh, Scott mentioned uh, a little earlier that uh, this week in a few days, next week in a couple of days, we're going to see the first direct challenger to Donald Trump for 2024, former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley. Um, she's not going to be the only one, I guess, John. So what do we expect her message to be? Yeah, we expect her message to be that she has a lot of experience. You know, she ran a state. Uh, she was governor of South Carolina. She has foreign policy experience. She was Trump's uh, one of Trump's ambassadors to the United Nations. So she has some experience that a lot of the other uh, candidates just don't have. That's domestic experience and foreign policy experience. Uh, she's a woman. She's a mother. Uh, she's an Indian American. So, you know, she has a, she checks a lot of boxes mm-hmm. and she polls third in some of the early primary states behind Trump and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. She's in double digits in some polls. So, you know, you can't just laugh this one off. I think she She's as legitimate a challenger as as anyone else uh, who might get in the field. Now, DeSantis, you know, he polls uh, closer to Trump than she does. Uh, but if she can start chipping away at 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 what the numbers that the supporters that DeSantis has, um, you know, she could really make this a ball game. Uh, and if Trump slips, and if if you know, let's say Trump's indicted, because that could happen, yeah. um, they you know, and DeSantis, some of the policies that the DeSantis administration. It, it pushing and enacting in Florida, how's that really going to play in, in New Hampshire or, or other places? So if it's not Trump, Republican voters have to go somewhere. And, you know, she does have an impressive resume. I think she'll be 
Um, I think she, she, she'll come over, be more relatable, probably more likable on the trail than DeSantis. So sitting third right now, it's not a bad place to be. Uh, Scott, who else from the United States Senate do you expect to jump in? Well, certainly. So I mentioned Ted Cruz. Yeah. Uh, certainly Tim Scott is taking a really hard look at running for president. In, in fact, I think there's a lot of people that expect that if everyone else jumps in, then Tim Scott will be there as well. Uh, it's part of the reason why there's so much skepticism with uh, any sort of talk of police reform uh, bills, uh, you know, in, mm. in the wake of some very high profile, uh, you know, police related deaths. Um, Tyree Ty 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 Nichols, obviously comes to mind uh, there there had been sort of a, a you know a, a burst of of talk about police reform again in the wake of Tyree right. Nichols and um, but Tim Scott just does not seem like he's willing to be a, a participant again in in those talks because uh, he's taking a really really hard look at running for president and uh, you know somebody engaged in the middle of serious police reform negotiations, uh, I think the the base, the conservative base, would be very, very skeptical of somebody mm -hmm. like that. And so that is certainly part, has to be part of Tim Scott's calculation. Holly said he's out uh, from Missouri, so he's he's not going to run. But, uh, you know, I mean, there's some other names, Marco Rubio, and, and then you have to consider people like <laughs> Pence and Larry Hogan. I mean, Right. The, the, the challenge for all of these people is the more people that run, uh, we're going to be, you, you know, we could be back in a situation like 2016 again, where Trump with that, you know, whatever, 30 percent of support just uh, is able to, to squeak by each time uh, with the victories in each states because uh, there's so many people in that field. But that's the conventional wisdom. As we right. know, um, a lot of things can happen. Uh, yeah. And so it's been interesting watching this DeSantis-Trump rivalry sort of shape up. They, they have been taking shots at each other compared to Nikki Haley, who gave Trump a heads up and says, I'm, I'm con really considering running for president. Trump said, I think he should run. Uh, so that relationship is is much more positive than the uh, DeSantis-Trump uh, rivalry that is starting to heat up. And of course, Lindsey Graham will not be on the list because he has already endorsed Donald Trump. Uh, well, then the night after the State of the Union Wednesday night, many of us here in Washington gathered for a, a classic kind of Washington event. Uh, first time after COVID that the Washington Press Club Foundation has been able to hold its annual dinner in person. Um, Scott, you were there. Uh, producer Jay Feldman and I saw you there. And they always have a Republican uh, member and a Democratic member. It's basically a roast. Um, and the Republican member, uh, Scott, will let you uh, introduce Nancy Mace. Uh, first, let's, let's hear a little bit of her act and then get your Get your take on how it went over with the crowd. Come on, George, you've given Republicans a bad name, and that's Lauren Boebert's job. <laughs> Just kidding, Lauren, don't shoot. <laughs> Who lies about being a, about playing college volleyball? Like, who does that? <laughs> if you're gonna lie, at least make it about something big. Like you actually won the 2020 presidential election. 
Yeah, she. <laughs> there was nobody, nobody left unscorched by the time she was finished, Scott. And I think Nancy Mace, yes, she she stole the show uh, the other night, and I think she learned a good lesson from people that have done that dinner in the past. I mean, the folks that succeed are the ones that take on their own party, mm-hmm. and it's pretty easy for Mace because she's sort of been an outlier. <laughs> she's um, you know she's taken on Trump before. She's taken on her leadership. She has threatened to vote against uh, Kevin McCarthy and his agenda even as recently as this year, although she she sort of waffles on a lot of different issues. She, she likes to have it both ways. So, um, but she, she learned, yeah, she was taking aim at everybody. George Santos, of course, was the butt of a lot of jokes, as you would expect on Wednesday night. Even the legendary Connie Chung uh, took a shot at Santos, uh, <laughs> saying that at one point Santos was uh, saying that she was her first husband. Mari Povich, of course, was in the room as well. So uh, Connie Chung um, may have gotten the most laughs of the night, even uh, even uh, with Nancy Mason, Raphael Warnock as the headlining act. Um, but it was it was a fun night, a bipartisan night. We had uh, Tony Gonzalez, the Republican from Uvalde, Texas, at our NBC table, and, and it was great to, uh, to get to know him uh, quite a bit, especially after the couple years that he has uh, endured down there in Uvalde. Right. Uh, just, uh, just to put a uh, fine point on uh, Connie Chung's remarks, so Susan Page, the Master of Ceremonies, had said that uh, George Santos was uh, Connie Chung's first husband, <laughs> which, of course, everybody understood was a George Santos kind of lie. And Connie Chung quickly pointed out that that marriage was never consummated. <laughs> oh, that's OK. I, I'm, <laughs> right? glad you, I'm glad you caught that. OK, I'm glad that you was, clarified that. Yeah, that was the, that was a lot. It was a great line. And so uh, John Bennett, then, of course, uh, Reverend Raphael Warnock takes the stage with a different kind of humor, more of a, a low key uh, but again, poking fun at some members of his own party kind of humor that also went over very well with the crowd. Here is um, a senator, preacher, <laughs> Reverend Warnock. There's one man who was here earlier who prayed harder than anybody else for my victories. I am a faith leader, but he prayed harder than the preacher. Yes, I'm talking about Majority Leader Chuck Schumer. In fact, I think that Senator Schumer would have prayed the rosary while facing Mecca if he thought it would turn out more voters in the Atlanta suburbs. <laughs> uh, so, John, he was the happiest man, I think, in the room because he, he, for the next five years, he's not going to have to run for office every six months. That's a very good point. Uh, that probably <laughs> explains his uh, uh, his demeanor. He, he also um, he cracked a few other jokes. I was not there. Um, but I've seen uh, uh, Reverend Warnock uh, speak publicly before, and he does have a sneaky sense of humor. So I'm uh, glad that uh, that the organization uh, uh, chose him. And it um, sounds like you guys had, had quite the evening. Uh, uh, Congresswoman Mace, uh, back to her. Uh, I was surprised. I read some of the, the jokes, uh, I believe, in uh, our friends at, uh, at Politico and Playbook, uh, had some of her jokes uh, in in the next morning, and and I was surprised she really, as they said, brought down the house. No, she did. And by the way, the entire dinner program is up on C-SPAN, um, and so you can uh, watch it. The Washington Press Club Foundation dinner. It was February eight, 
uh, and the entertainment um, it's 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 worth watching. It's really it was it was a it was a, it was a great evening uh, and a great roundtable. Thank you, John. Thank you, Scott, for bringing us up to date on uh, the news of the week. Um, we'll let you go into the weekend, but not before whatever story caught your attention, particularly this week. We call it our favorite story of the week, of course. Uh, Scott, start us off, please. Well, I got two points I wanted to to make. I was sitting not too far at that congressional dinner from uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, who was actually in the audience. Uh, She was a guest, I believe, of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. But I was uh, a little bit surprised to see MTG in the House. And, of course, she was uh, the target of of some Nancy Mace jokes. But she was taking it in stride. She was laughing at the joke. She was... You know, saying, oh, that those were good jokes. And uh, she was mingling with the press. And this is a, a, a different MTG than we have seen in the past, of course, uh, as John pointed out. Uh, and, and as my colleague at NBC News, John Allen, has written, uh, MTG is has been, uh, uh, according to some sources, jockeying for that vice presidential role uh, to run with her close ally, Donald Trump. And so maybe it wasn't surprising to see her in the audience there. But, um, uh, you know, Lauren Boebert, who was the butt of uh, some other jokes, was not in the audience. And so uh, it it was an interesting sight to see MPG there with with the fourth estate. Um, Just one real quick story that broke this morning. Uh, Anna Paulina Luna, Republican from Florida, Freshman Republican, uh, the Washington Post had a great story about, uh, you know, who exactly this Congresswoman uh, is and has uh, projected herself to be. Uh, she, of course, has said that she is the the first Mexican American to be elected, uh, Mexican American woman to be elected from Florida. Um, Oh. You know, the the Washington Post made it appear that she had been, uh, you know, telling people things about her uh, in her previous life uh, as as a as a military person serving in uh, Missouri on on an Air Force base, saying that she was she grew up Middle Eastern, Jewish, or Eastern European. Now she is Uh-oh. saying that she's uh, Mexican American. Um, they said that she. In the past, while in the military, would often um, sport designer clothing and was a big Barack Obama fan. Now she's a conservative uh, (laughs) who talked a lot about her poor upbringing. And so there's a lot of inconsistency Uh Uh uh, in her personal uh, narrative, her personal resume and her biography. And um, that. The, you know, reminds us of another individual freshman lawmaker in the Republican Party by by the name of George Santos. So it'll be uh, certainly interesting to follow this Anna Paulina Luna story uh, in the weeks and months to come. The talented Miss Luna, we're sort of maybe we're going to be talking about from now on. Wow, I saw that story. It's amazing. Uh, good for The Washington Post for catching up with her. And I'm sure we'll hear more. Uh, John, what uh, came to your attention this week particularly? Well, I'm going to keep the streak mostly intact here, Bill, and, and of course, go to sports. I didn't, uh-huh. get a, yep. didn't get a chance to follow a lot this week. I, I often judge how crazy the week has been by Friday morning when I open my laptop, how many tabs are open on my browser. And this morning, uh, it must have been 25. 
So, uh, but I did keep up with the NBA trade deadline. And if you thought the State of the Union was wild, uh, boy, NBA teams really move players around. We had some superstars move uh, Kyrie Irving to Dallas. Uh, the Net- Brooklyn Nets also traded uh, Kevin Durant to the Phoenix Suns. Uh, they've got Devin Booker and Chris Paul. Now they've got Durant. Uh, that's a super team. Uh, they're suddenly the favorites to, to, to win the NBA championship. So um, that that was a nice distraction from from everything else that was happening this week. Uh, it's a lot of fun, and and the league has has really shifted a lot of uh, new faces and new places. And you know, like Mike Connolly going to Minnesota. Um, he's a veteran. They need that. They've got a lot of young players. They have to learn how to win in the playoffs. Uh, Connolly might help them do that. So all this is shaping up to really have an exciting NBA playoffs. Uh, it's one of my favorite events of the year. It goes on forever, um, but that's a good thing because it's always entertaining. So one of the more memorable trade deadlines in some time. Uh, well, John, I always appreciate that you bring sports to the uh, Bill Press Roundtable, right? So, <laughs> because nobody else does. So you keep us right right uh, in the door there. I, and I appreciate that. Well, my favorite story, I, I just can't get over this, is is from Forestville, California. I always look for stuff from my home city of California. Uh, and this is, I'm sure you probably saw it, this young couple, uh, they noticed that there were some maggots, little maggots crawling out of the walls of their home. And they thought, what the hell is going on? They called a pest service. The pest service arrived, and they discovered that an acorn woodpecker had been had drilled all kinds of little holes up around the chimney of this house and was using the house as a storage chest for their its acorns. <laughs> they opened the wall of the house and, get this, 700 pounds of acorns <laughs> were hidden behind the walls of the house that that this woodpecker had put in through the chimney, which went down into the kitchen and, and into the attic, rather from the attic, had, had crept down into the walls of the house. And so these worms were little worms that were growing on the acorns. Uh, they took eight garbage bags of acorns weighing 700 pounds out of that house. And uh, when it was over, the uh, pest control people said, in the understatement of the year, that they figured this acorn woodpecker was, quote, a bit of a hoarder. <laughs> Boy, I'll say. So I guess the lesson of the story is, if you've seen little white worms crawling out of your the walls of your house, call the pest control uh, woodpeckers, acorn woodpecker, maybe, maybe the culprit. Uh, and from sports to woodpeckers <laughs> to the latest maybe liar in Congress, That's it for today's roundtable. Thank you, Scott Wong. Thank you, John Bennett. Uh, And thank you all for joining us. I want you to have a great weekend, but we want to see you back on Tuesday for the next edition of the Bill Press Pod. Our guest will be Susan Glasser, uh, who is the, of course, writes a weekly column for The New Yorker called The Letter from Biden's Washington. She is also the co-author with her husband, Peter Baker, of the great new book on the Trump administration called The Divider. Susan Glasser joins us on the next edition of the Bill Press Pod. That's Tuesday. Have a great weekend. We'll see you next Tuesday. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. 
If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.